BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right, guys, super excited to sit down with a good buddy of mine who's releasing a new book called Sideline CEO. Marty Smith joins us right here in studio on Stacking Pennies, presented by Mobile One. Stacking them deep, selling them cheap. It tastes like gasoline, rubber, and victory. We're out here stacking pennies. Marty Smith, author of Sideline CEO. Thank you, sir. Thank and, you. And never settle. It is uh, it, this is a long time coming. It We've is. been trying to put this together for a long time, and I appreciate your spirit so much, Corey. And I've been buddies for a long time. During COVID, we tried to solve all the world's problems by on mountain bikes, running around on mountain bikes all over North Carolina, and I about killed myself three or four times. And Corey got tired of pick, <laughs> taking out his spatula and picking me up <laughs> off the dirt because I broke another shoulder. But uh, but it's so great. I'm, I'm so grateful to be here, and thank I, you all for the platform. I feel like every time we did hang out, you were get the one getting hurt. We wrecked. <laughs> you wrecked on the, the mountain bike. You yep. tried to move a pine tree. It did not move. Your shoulder did. Then you come play kickball with us, Worst and you make, life. you make you you moss the entire uh, playing field. Your you boy. Die for a, you Who? die for a catch, and then you broke a rib, right? I broke a – so what happened was – okay, so – I was playing third base. This was two years ago. Was this hot, two? The hot corner. Two years yeah, ago. 21. Uh, in Corey's charity kickball tournament. And I'm standing at third. And I am cheated way, way up. Like the third base is back into my right. Blaney steps up and just boots one down the third baseline. And it's curving foul. And I dive. And I had told myself on the way in the door. I even looked at Kurt Bush and I said, dude, don't leg out any singles. Don't dive. Don't. We're old. Don't, don't be here. Just don't do anything. And lo and behold, the competitiveness took over. I dive. My shoulder drives straight in the ground, separated my shoulder, broke my collarbone. It was awful. I mean, it was just – and I turned – what was funny is you guys came – Blaney came yes. running over. He's like, ah! I was like, don't bleep and touch me. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was as white as a sheet. Yeah. And I knew I was hurt. I just didn't know how hurt. And then I was fine. I kept playing. And then Almirola shook my hand after the game, and I just heard it go pow, and I was like, "That's it, it's over." You so, stood up madder than a snake, like, yeah. "Damn it!" Like that was the look <laughs> on your. I remember watching it like it was yesterday. You stood up like, it was that exact look. I told myself I wasn't going to do this, and, and I right. did it, and I'm mad at myself. Yeah, I was so furious at myself because that was the entire intent going in: support your friend, have a blast with your buddies, talk some trash, don't get hurt. Mm-hmm. And I turned into kickball takes well over. you, you checked all you checked two out of three boxes unfortunately <laughs> what i love about it marty it's like a bunch of old dudes thinking they're athletes yes it is and it's isn't it such a joy thing like everyone does like a silent auction a dinner <laughs> a golf tournament not Corey. no he's out there just breaking necks kicking talking bombs smack. yeah it's talking an awesome ma- event it's i mean you guys do such a good job and is it in kannapolis again yeah, yeah. all right it's so today as this, this drops oh okay okay it's tonight great Corey's recruiting me 
Um, I do appreciate that every single year he makes a jersey for me. Look at this. Just in case I get a wild hair. I know you're a busy man. And decide that uh, I'm going to come back out. He retired. No, we always need a third base coach. I'm, uh, yeah. Some year I might come back. But tonight, as we sit here, I am going to take my wife to see Chris Stapleton in Charlottesville, Virginia. Oh. So I love you, but I don't love you that much. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. <laughs> now, next year when when we sign up, you're going you're gonna to know a lot more about leading your troops into battle after writing this here book that sits in front of a sideline CEO. Man, you've got any – Greatest of all time coach, whether it's college football, basketball, Doc Rivers. I it's mean, a who's who. It is a who's uh, who. It, it was an interesting project because, I mean, all three of you guys have been around elite leadership. Y'all been around Joe Gibbs. He's in the book. I interviewed Christian Horner, who, of course, is the Red Bull Formula One How's team he? principal. Oh. He's amazing. He's super intense. And with, you know, ESPN, McGee and I, Ryan McGee, those of you. Shout out. May or may not know my, my brother from another. ESPN sends us to the Formula One races now because ESPN broadcasts them. And it's interesting to be around those guys. It's a very different vibe than our garage in NASCAR. How much, so? How so? Much stricter. I mean, it's a whole lot more strict. Is there actually wine and cheese or is that just No, no wine and cheese. But (laughs) when we were in Miami in May, Jimmy Butler, this kind of blew my mind. Jimmy Butler. Is that hairdo he's wearing actually a thing? I'm not sure. Um, It really does have a lot of uh, uh, outcast vibes, doesn't (laughs) it? It does. I like the braids a lot. I hope he brings those. I don't like that Karen haircut he's got. Keep keep it moving. I was blown away. Well, this is a whole other aside, but I was blown away with like how sinewy that guy is. He's like thinner than I thought he would be. Anyway, Right beside McGee and my set at the Formula One race in Miami, he has a coffee called Big Face, I think, is what it's called, Big Face Coffee. And he's infatuated with coffee, all these different coffees from all around the world. And he was sitting there selling his own coffee at the Formula One race. And I'm like, that's Jimmy Butler. Wow, pretty crazy. But With a coffee stand? With a coffee stand, a trailer. He rolled a trailer in there and – I think it's big faces and i think it's called big face because money has big faces on it mm. is why mm. i think he named it that but nonetheless uh so you guys have all been around been around great leaders for quite some time and covered them or worked for them in your case with rick hendrick certainly i wanted to put together a collaboration of great minds and great leaders because the number one motivation for doing it was i had so many people in my path who injected self-confidence into my life and brought me with them, especially when I didn't believe I was capable of doing it myself. Leadership is not power. Leadership is influence. So through trust of your words and follow through with your actions, do you have that influence that will bring people with you, especially when they don't believe they're capable themselves? And I mean, it's Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, Mac Brown, Tom Izzo, Roy Williams, Doc Rivers, Urban Meyer. It is a who's who of championship leaders and and minds and influence and so i'm grateful to all of them they gave me time they didn't have and i think it's an amazing text that no matter your walk you don't it's not a sports book at all it's a life book and i'm grateful for having had the opportunity to do it marty's wearing a 28 davy allison shirt my guy your boy my boy larry mack roll tide yeah he's rtr He's got Saban and a big painting above the fireplace. Um, so I'm I wish in, she was joking. Cliff Daniels is now right next to him, by the way. It's Saban. And and it's now, Cliff okay, Daniels. explain that. Why does Cliff Daniels garner that uh, position? 
He's, he thinks the sun rises and sets. Really. On and Cliff, Cliff yeah. yeah. He, he thinks his leadership. There's been a couple moments on the racetrack. The Coke 600 last year comes to mind when everything falls apart. And the, the, the famous motivational speech at the halfway point. We've wrecked. We've been out of this. We've literally been on fire. But we are still running, and we can get back in this. And I, almost came back and won the race. I bet you Larry Mack was like and on it, the edge of his seat. Like, I, mean, yeah. it, I bet he was, it, it, Like, it got him yeah. fired up. Yeah. And I think after that, and just like the winning, the dominance, the 10-win season, I mean, all of it, he just feels like right now he's the new Chad Knauss or Ray Evernham or Dale Inman. I mean, he just puts him on, on a shelf, on a pedestal that, that big. When he was working with Johnson – I think it was before he ascended to the crew chief of that car. I think he was either a lead engineer on that car or maybe yeah, a car was. chief on that car. And we used to ride bikes a lot. And I would be around Cliff just with Jimmy. And I really was taken with his presence. There are certain people who have a very distinct presence that demand that you pay attention to them. And he has that. It's a self-confidence that isn't cocky. And it really is striking. Now, I love you, son. He is a world-class crew chief. But when you got a generation of wheel man, that helps a little bit too. No doubt. Yeah. And they are they are definitely uh, a wonderful collaboration. They get each other. They obviously communicate at an elite level. And that's what it takes. And they're super different, right? Yep. They're like yin and yang, and that's what Kyle needs probably. And Cliff probably needs the opposite. Because if, if your driver was, in, it was as bought in as Cliff, Cliff, I think there would be probably more distractions than anything. Because Cliff is like, Hell, Cliff introduced my wife. I've known him since we were 15. And the first time I met Cliff Daniels was at Southside Speedway. And he's a Ryan, this is my legend car. I, I rebuilt the whole steering column to have no slop in it. And I said, what a freaking nerd. <laughs> like, that was the first time I ever met him. And, yeah, he, him and him and Tiff ended up introducing me to my wife. So thanks to them for our time in the 14 car. But, yeah, Cliff has continually made every team he's ever been on better. And he's one of the guys that got the shot and is, you know, excelling. Well, one of the most important things in my mind uh, to be an elite crew chief is the willingness to delegate, and that's part of this book. Kirby Smart is Georgia's head coach. They've won consecutive national championships, and he said to me in the book, he was like, look, I was a micromanager, and micromanagement so often comes from insecurity, but when I finally learned to delegate, that's when I became a championship caliber leader, and I think about Canals. Yeah. Canals like, was the king of micromanagement. And it was so hard on that team for so long. And then they, you know, he, he was really fortunate to have Jimmy. Of course, Jimmy was fortunate to have him. They're the greatest union of all time. Sorry, Richard and Dale. But uh, that's just my opinion. But no, that's a fact. That's just... when, I mean, when you, have, when you have those polar opposite personalities, you're so right. They can blossom that way because what Jimmy had to – Jimmy took a lot of, a lot of BS – behind the wheel of that car and but it was for the greater good and they won a lot of races as a result and you know chad another thing in the book is the evolution chad was willing to evolve through yeah. it and man like it, it was so fascinating to watch that evolution as they went through their dominance man he talked to so many obviously premier coaches in terms of their leadership abilities in in the book but you've also got to talk to some of the greatest athletes of all time Cristiano Ronaldo, I watched an interview that you did with Tiger Woods at Augusta, right? I mean, the list of guys that you've talked to is is super long. Is there a common thread that personalities and everybody's kind of mannerisms and demeanors are different, but there's got to be something that's a common element that makes the great ones great 
and separated from the good ones? Um, there is, and I think it's that. So I, I would, I just learned this when I did this project. I, I think that there is the willingness to work hard. I think there is the understanding and the acumen of how to do whatever your chosen path is. But what I look like, like Nick Saban said something to me in the book that I will carry with me the rest of my days. And that is mediocre people don't like high achievers and high achievers don't like mediocre people. Mm. And if you think about what that means, this is what it means. People who are uber-driven, undaunted, unwilling to compromise, devoted, dedicated to a degree that those who aren't cannot fathom, they don't have time for those people who can't fathom it. They don't have time for someone who isn't willing to live on that frequency. And those who aren't willing to live on that frequency are oftentimes intimidated. So what do they do? They tear down. I'm about to run Preach. Let's go. They, Preach. They, Let's go. Preach. What they do. Go, baby. Go. It's so true. What ends up happening is when you're around someone who is indomitable and that intimidation sets in and you go, I'm not willing to reach that. So let me just go, let me disparage you because you got that inside you. Yeah. Let me try to tear your heart out. Uh-uh. You can't touch those people. And the Tiger was I'm infatuated with Goggins, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, those guys that would cut your heart out. And eat it. And and to, to, to be the absolute greatest. Yeah. And so much sacrifice comes with that. I was going to ask you, what's the balance? Well, there, for, for a lot of those guys, the balance was, if not impossible, uh -huh. extremely difficult. Hell, it's hard for me. Like, I try very hard to be a present, attentive, uh, atten attentive husband and father. It is my number one goal. My, my, I don't want my legacy to be any of this shit. I want my legacy for my kids to go, man, my dad was awesome. Yep. My dad demanded of us, but he followed through with the vulnerability and the transparency to be relatable on our level because that's what great leaders do. No two people assume information, process information the same way. So you have to reach them where they are. Yeah. 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 And so you got to bring people with you. Have and that's to. that's got to be hard when you're just at another level. Dude, and that's a hard balance. Yeah. Right? I read a quote the other day, right? That's not contrary to this point, but it said the only people in 20 years that are going to remember that you worked late are your children. And I was like, mm. oh. damn. All right. Let me tell you something that really stopped me in my tracks. I think it was 2012. It was around that time, the latter couple of years of the ESPN broadcast partnership with NASCAR. I was exhausted. I was in Loudoun, New Hampshire for the chase race. And it was like 830 at night on a Saturday. And I was laying in my hotel bed watching a documentary. I think it was about Buzz Aldrin. It was about one of the famous astronauts that went to the moon. And he was asked, what would you love to do over? What regret do you have in your life? He said, I have but one. I wish I spent more time with my children. And man, I was yeah. in the middle of that 20 straight week run where you're gone five days a week and your wife's a single mom and you're trying to manage all that stuff. And God bless the, the spouses at home who are trying to manage three kids at once with no help. And you just go, the hell am I doing this for? Yeah. Yeah. What am I doing this for? Can we lighten the load a little bit? And so. Can we? Yeah. No, your time. That's when you yeah. do a time audit, right? Yeah. Like, okay, what's worth my time? What am I saying? yes and no to too much like we talk about that often but like there's also a, a price to being a high achiever 
No right? question. So you have to know who's paying the price. If it's your kids, maybe you have to adjust. Man, I think know, there's that. there are seasons to reap and there's seasons to harvest. Right? Yes. You can, you can freaking work till the sun comes up and goes down, but you also have to be intentional to know when the scales are getting tipped the wrong direction. Perfect. And it was, you know, that was what, one thing that was so interesting in our household about what during the COVID lockdown. I'd never been home in my adult life. I'd never been home for any appreciable time. Same for yeah. all three of you. And so Lainey and I were very intentional about our time with one another and our time with our children during that moment where I wasn't running to an airport. But it was so funny because about two – NASCAR was the first sport back, and they sent me to Darlington, and they sent me to Pocono and Talladega in these RVs, Right. But I started to get a little bit twitchy, like, dude, what if sports don't come back? Okay, how am I going to provide? What am I going to do? I need to control my controllables, and that is what came from that time. Yeah. The book. The yep. book. That book. Really? Oh, yeah. That's when, did, when, when you did, started the book. Yep. Yeah. That's when I started it. I interviewed Mac Brown first, the head football coach of the University of North Carolina, who's like my dad. And I called him, and 53 minutes later, I'd gone to a master class in leadership, in trust, in crisis management, all the interesting pillars or principles that are in the book. Two days later, I called Urban Meyer, and I went, this thing's undeniable. And so I started wow. down that road. Yeah. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Do your pennies stretch as far as they used to? Most likely it doesn't. Here's why. It took 200 years for the U.S. to print its first $5 trillion. Today, Washington has done that in just three years. The problem, every new dollar makes each one of your dollars worth less, robbing you and every other hardworking American. But you can stop this cycle of robbery by diversifying your IRA or 401k into gold, an asset that has stood the test of time. Our new sponsor, Birch Gold Group, has helped tens of thousands of Americans protect their retirement savings with physical precious metals. Now you can too. Get a free info kit on gold right now by texting the word Corey, C-O-R-E-Y, to 989-898. With an A-plus rating with the BBB, you're in good hands with Birch Gold. So get your free info kit by texting Corey to the number 989-898. Go check them out. Put some pennies in some gold. I wanted to ask you about saving. That's where I was going with the Larry Mack pick. I interrupted above. you. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. We've gone around the world no, since then. No, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. We're going to no, go again. We're going to um, go again. But I think when I spent time in Boston, like Belichick, I think was intimidating. We can all relate to maybe a smoke interview yep. being intimidating. How do you fight that barrier just as a reporter the intimidation factor when you know they put a wall up and really don't want to answer questions and you have to bring a smart question to get a smart response and also maybe the biggest principle that that you got out of Nick. They're all cut from the exact same stone. If you prepare, I think excellence lives at the intersection of preparedness and passion. 
So if you prove to the like, it's funny that you use Stewart. People have asked me so many times, aren't weren't you intimidated by Nick Saban? Didn't he intimidating Tiger Woods? I went to Dale Earnhardt Tony Stewart Media School. And if you don't show up prepared and show them that you have genuine care for their time, they're going to reciprocate what you give them. If you show up prepared, you ask them intelligent, thoughtful, open-ended questions that let them share their truth, they're going to reciprocate that with their truth. If you show up half-ass, unprepared, they're going to give you what you give them, all of them. They're all the same that way. And from the second I started with Coach Saban almost 10 years ago now, that has always been my mission. I've never once interviewed him where I didn't feel like I was as optimally prepared as I could possibly be. And he's been good to me. I mean, in all, in all honesty, he has been great to me because he can be a tough nugget. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like he hadn't hollered at me, said some choice things because he has. Really? But – I don't off care. camera, it's like never, he'll, it's or never on personal. camera, he'll. Um, off, yeah. It's never, it's never personal. Yeah. Is it about certain things about your opinion of his team? Nope. Or? Okay. It is when I did not like. I, I went one question too many. Mm. Oh. Mm. Yeah. When on you, the scheduled time, like yep, it goes back to time. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I want to. I want to rewind it back a little bit because right before we sat down and started talking. Uh, we got introduced to a kid named Alex. Shout out, Alex. First day at Nashville. First day, Alex. Yeah, Alex. Don't know where he came from. He was dressed really nice. He was. He's ready. You told him a story about your first day at NASCAR. So intimidating. So uh, how, what was that experience like? First time just in a new sport. And also, did you ever envision going from that first day at NASCAR to being college game day? No. no was it books? with ESPN or where was the first? No, this was with NASCAR. Oh, okay. So my first job out of college, I worked at a newspaper. I'm a writer. I f the TV thing just kind of happened organically, for lack of a better term. You've but got the hair for it. That's hair. Yeah. All about the hair. <laughs> yeah. So I was writing for a, a newspaper right out of college. You guys ever met Paul Brooks? You guys remember Paul no. Brooks? So Paul used to be a vice president here at NASCAR, and he was from the town in which I was working. And NASCAR was my beat. I was a local reporter that covered NASCAR racing. I would do Martinsville, Richmond, Charlotte, and Bristol. Those were the races I got to attend. And so I got a call one day from this lady. Hey, my son just got promoted to vice president of NASCAR. You want to do a story on him? Hell yeah. Give me his number. So I called Paul, did a story. That was that. Several months later, this box shows up on my desk, and it was 50th anniversary. This tells you how long ago it is. Today wow. is – or this year is the 75th. That was yep. the 50th. And it was all like the desk furniture, the little business card holder, the, the marble thing with the pins <laughs> inside, you know. And I was like I won the lottery because that job paid me like 12 8 Yeah. Yeah. So, oh. <laughs> long story short, there was a piece of stationery in the bottom of the box. I immediately went over, emailed Paul, and said, get me out of here. I got bigger aspirations than this. I'll come to Daytona. I'll scrub the toilets. I'll do. I'll be. I'll be your runner. You give me a chance, man. You're not going to regret it. He wrote me back. I get it. We don't have anything right now. If we do, I'll let you know. A couple months after that, I got a call to come to Charlotte and an interview. Someone had left NASCAR online, which at the time the NASCAR's internet site was like four years old at the time. I came down here, young and green as could be. And for whatever reason, they chose to hire me. And 
my very first race was Sonoma, California, and I was sharing with these guys before we started that I remember walking into the garage area and being so intimidated because everybody knew everybody, and they were saying what's up, and they were telling them about this happened this week. Man, can you believe that happened last week? I think we got a piece this week, man. That guy, this. I'm like, I'm. How, I was so intimidated to the point where I'm like, I just don't know if I'm ever going to ever gonna make it here. And yeah. you know, There was grown men used to race them cars back in the day, too, late 90s. I mean, you walk into the garage. <laughs> Not anymore. We got kids. Yeah. I, I mean, it was Big E. It was Rusty Wallace. Dale it Jarrett. Was Ricky Rudd. DJ. Uh, Daryl Waltrip. Like, like, I mean, it Gordon icon, yeah, just like dudes. Mm-hmm. Tony Stewart came in that year, he was a rookie in '99, and so I mean, it was just wild to me. And they were just household names and just these titans. And that was the heyday of the Gordon Earnhardt rivalry, and the sport had a rocket ship strapped to its ass, yeah. And it was just a wild time to be in it and be so young. And and I was fortunate to make great relationships with Junior and Jimmy Johnson and Kenseth and Sadler and all them boys. Well, that was like the next wave. But well, how did those how did those legends treat you? Like a kid, it was it was, and I you know I think about myself now, you know in my mid forties, how would I look at a young person who was obviously just so young and doesn't know a. Th- thing like i mean i they got me with the long weight joke y'all remember the long yeah. where'd they send yep. you for a long all weight? over the damn garage yeah. <laughs> i mean it, earl barman was oh, one of the, the oh my god one oh. of the chief instigators there but can we, one of the just for things. just for the listeners because i don't want any of our stack of pants listeners to be fooled by the long weight tell them what what a long weight is so i this is what happened to me i've sent plenty of kids on long weights girl i just got told to walk all around the garage and they you know you they they're like hey Go to the 17 truck yeah. and, and get a long weight and bring it back. So I go to the 17 truck and they get – And you know, think this thing is going to like yeah, make I'm some like, speed. Yeah, I'm like, man, okay. Yeah. What? <laughs> it's not a short one. It's a long I'm one. on a covert mission <laughs> right. for a long weight. <laughs> I mean, it must have been 20 teams. I oh walked all God. over that garage from and one they, side. Yeah. No, everybody knows. They're like, go no, see no, we took on the it, three. We, we no. took it last week. Okay. We took it over to the three. Yeah. I'm not walking up to the three truck and, and asking they, anything. <laughs> well, and they give you a name. Hey, yeah. go see Banjo. <laughs> exactly. Like, I need Banjo. Yeah. And they're like, what's up, kid? Oh, he's in the pisser. And, then, and they're on it, right? <laughs> so so I'm standing time, outside a pisser. So uh, inevitably, it hits you that you are waiting on a long W-A-I-T yep. Yep. and not a W-E-I-G-H-T. Yep. And you feel like a dip. You feel Holy like a complete idiot. <laughs> but it was funny, man, because... One of the greatest blessings for me when I first started was that I worked for NASCAR. So I had to keep the same schedule the officials did. Oh. I had to be there when it opened, and I had to stay till it closed, and that was demanded of me. And because of that, you know, you come in, and it's like, it's Hossberry. It's like these old school dudes. Gary uh-huh. Nelson was the director of the sport, and Mike Helton was the president who's the most intimidating damn dude in the history of man. Yet a teddy bear. And yet the yeah, coolest guy ever. No doubt. Um, but it was that was very beneficial to me because they all saw that I was willing to put in that same time that they did and drink bush lights with John Darby a lot. Love that. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. 
Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. For me, race day is a great reason to shut down the laptop, put the phone on silent, and simply enjoy the driving. But Mobile One wants to remind you that you can get that same kind of escape any day of the week. How? By simply hopping in your car, rolling the windows down, and hitting the road. No emails, no calls, no work, just freedom. Mobile One, for the love of driving. Speaking of speaking of drinking some bush lattes, well, you drank um, a, a famous beer on the front stretch, Pit Road, right after Dale Jr.'s last race. You had a good story for the listeners so, for that one. So th- for those of you who may not have seen it before, so Jr. and I go back. Um, he was one of the first people I met in the sport. I admire him beyond words i think that his willingness to race after his father's death is the reason that there's still a nascar because every single individual in the sport whether that was the sanctioning body administration itself every sponsor every other driver his own team richard childress everybody looked right at him to determine whether the sport was going to race in rockingham north carolina and he chose to race so everyone raced and he gets frustrated sometimes with me for saying that because he's like, no, man, you know, everybody said. It's a great Dale Jr. But yeah, yeah, uh, I've been practicing for yeah. a long time. <laughs> but it's the truth. And he had so much grace in the aftermath of that. But anyway, I just kind of watched him the whole way through. And when he finished in 2017, he pulls down pit road at Homestead Miami Speedway. And you got to remember, too, he just made his way through the darkness in that point of the concussion aftermath. And he was damn sure that I'm going to go out my way. I'm not going to have some doctor tell me when I'm done, I'm going to decide. And so he had decided, okay, I'm going to be done with this. And that moment where he parks his car on pit road in Miami and all of his guys are sitting on it. They're all firing back beers. And I just went over to interview him for, for Scott Van Pelt's show uh, on the sports center uh, show. And when we got done, I just told him, man, I love you. And he goes, I love you too, man. You're one of the greatest people in my life. He's like, what are we going to do now? And I just said, we're going to drink one of them damn beers. Throw me one of them damn beers. <laughs> and Greg Ives, God love him, chucks one across the car. I, I, and Junior and I fire it back. One of the coolest moments ever for me. Well, Van Pelt and those guys, I mean, it was live. Yeah. It was on TV. So fast forward to the next March. I'm getting ready to interview Tiger Woods. So I'm sitting at Medalist Golf Club down in Florida, and I've prepared this interview, and I've got it down to 10 important questions. i got 20 minutes. i got it to 10 questions that I think he'll at least respect. So this shadow washes across the doorway at the Medalist Golf Club, and I look up, and it's Tiger Woods, and I'm like, whoa. So I stand up, and I stick my hand out to shake his hand, and he's like, nah, bro, bring it in. He gives me this big hug. I'm like, man, it's so cool to meet you. I've been a fan for a long time. He goes, you want to know the coolest damn thing I've ever seen on ESPN? And I said, what? He goes, when you shotgunned that beer with Dale Earnhardt Jr. on Pitt Road at Homestead Speedway. That is badass. And so I'm like, well, you go, you go win the damn Masters. I'll be waiting on you at 18. <laughs> Two years later, he won the freaking Masters again, which nobody believed, and I still haven't yeah. had that beer with him. Someday, Tiger. 
But I'm sure he's watching. Isn't that cool though that like Scott and Tiger are like Van Pelt. So Tiger watches his show all, every day, and I just thought that was so cool that it was resonant to someone like that to have that kind of moment. And I just like that was it was such a diffusing moment for me with any anxiety or pressure yeah. I felt yeah. for that interview. So that was really cool of him to do. I wanted to ask you about how you, because I'll be jealous. A lot of us were jealous of you in that era because it helped that you were on the mothership, but you were friends with Dale. You're tight with Jimmy. Like you were in the club and you got a lot of stuff that the rest of us did not get. Yep. And I'm like 10 years behind trying to find my way. I think as a female, it's probably a little different because if I'm hanging out with a bunch of drivers, Late at night, it's taken very differently than if you are. Yeah, sure. Um, so I kind of had to walk a straight path in that, and I was pretty strategic. But you're around these guys long enough, and you become friends, and it is a family. But yet, as a journalist, there should be separation of church and state. So how did you walk that line? The very first question I got asked when ESPN called me in March of 2006 was, uh, will you move to Bristol, Connecticut? I said no. The second question they asked me was, we hear from all the people that were asked. They were putting together their kind of ancillary programming group, you know, for the NASCAR Now show that we had for the uh, Sports Center stuff. Are you willing to report news stories on the people that you have befriended? Yeah, I think, I think so. Well, it wasn't damn 10 minutes later. My very first day at ESPN was September something or other of 2006. My very first race was Homestead, Miami, the last race of the year. And then if you remember, Jimmy Johnson's first championship was that year. About a week later, he broke his wrist acting like an idiot, surfing on top of a golf cart. Whose golf tournament was that? I don't think. It might have been his. I don't know if they were playing in a golf tournament or not. I don't remember if they were just playing or it was a tournament. Either way. That puts you in a I reported spot. it. Right. It's my job. Yeah. Yeah. And it was an interesting aftermath to that. Because he was furious at me. I mean, absolutely livid at me. He didn't think it was a story. He's like, dude, it doesn't matter. I'm on my own time. I'm not missing any of this. I'm not doing that. And I'm like, I get it. But I had to report it. It's a new story. And someday when you're going to wake up and you're going to go, you know what? He was right. And I wasn't. And so we didn't talk for a while. Really? No. And there's a whole other addendum to the story he was supposed to race in this race of champions thing. He couldn't do it, blah, 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 blah. But ultimately, it made our friendship that much closer because he had tremendous respect for me and the journalistic side of my life. And, yeah, I mean, I, I, that, that thing was tested immediately. What about with Dale? Because um, you guys were real close. Yeah, oh and, yeah. and there were ups and downs to his career. How did yeah, you I, navigate that? Um, I think that. Well, I was very honest. I was never – I never really couched it where – I mean, that, that 2009 era where he would be in press conferences yes. with his chin on his chest and wouldn't say anything and was so low and so depressed and so down because he felt like he was letting so many people down every single day. I would text him all the time, and I would say, get your chin off your chest. You're, you're, you're the face of an organization, and – you, you're going to get on, out the other side of this. You have got, like Dale is someone who needs affirmation, just like I am. I'm a lot less like that now. When I was younger, I yearned for affirmation, and that's what really built my self-confidence. Dale is that way. 
and especially in that era of his career as a racer, pre-Steve Letarte, if he felt like his team didn't believe, he would fold. And he had a few people in his life that would build him up, myself included. But, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd go on TV saying they were a disappointment every Sunday. You did? Oh, yeah. They were. I don't think it's talked about enough of just the mental battle with a driver in particular, right? Because you feel like you are the quarterback and you're a good day you can hold the team up and a bad day you can let the team down. And there are so many expectations, particularly when your dad right, died doing the sport like Dale did. I could see how it could weigh on you. In your opinion of just athletes, whether it's Tiger Woods, whether it's college football players or NFL players, where do the great ones get that internal self-confidence and belief? I don't know. I wonder if they're born with it. Like if it's just innate, like I what think it's makes learned. you do? Yeah. See, I think you're born with it. I don't. Is that a learned trait? Like, is Michael Jordan? You feel like psychologically it's learned, but physically it has to be God given. Uh, what's some, What's interesting? So th- there's in the book, uh, Mac Brown said to me that in 2008 he went to the front lines of the war, and he spent time with uh, General Raymond Odierno. And they were right there on the front lines. And he asked General Odierno, are leaders born or are leaders made? And he said, they're made. Why do you think we have academies? Why do you think we have, you know, the, the, the classes in the schools? And I'm sort of on the fence about that one. I think that you can learn to hone something that, you, is, that burns within you to be different. And in the book, too, I hate to keep going back to it, but that's, that's, what, uh, that's what we're talking about. Roy Williams tells a great story in there about MJ, about how Michael Jordan told him on the first day he was at the University of North Carolina, I'm, I want to be the greatest Tar Heel ever. And Roy looked at him and said, well, then, son, you got a lot of work to do because you ain't close. And he's like, what? I, I work just as hard as anybody else. And he goes, you don't know how to work. He said, I work just as hard as everybody else. And he said, exactly. Yeah. If you want to be the greatest of all time, son, you got to outwork everybody who's ever lived. Well, two days later, they were they had just finished this workout for their preseason camp, and Michael asked Coach Williams to stay behind in practice and said, Coach, I heard what you said. You're never going to meet anybody for the rest of your life who works harder than I'm going to work for the rest of my life. And to the day he stopped playing, nobody ever outworked Michael Jordan. Yeah, and he did it. I mean, it made an impact. Because they started him as a freshman well, that, and won a national championship. Ended, yeah. so Ended up being pretty good sound. I mean, yeah. we, when I keep going down that path, I mean, there's a plaque outside of the swamp that Tim Tebow said in that press conference after they took the that. The promise yeah. speech. We were just talking about it. The last weekend was the anniversary of it. Yeah. That guy's, that guy's amazing. Wrote um, the foreword for the book. He did. Uh, great friend. Somebody, Corey's idol. Yeah. My guy. He sent me a signed jersey. I gave him a helmet at Daytona or Bristol. Awesome. Yeah. He's a wonderful man. Uh, I've learned a lot from him. He told me something a few years ago. I was in a unique sort of period four or five years ago where I felt like I had a good idea where my career was going, and I felt like I had a very obvious bullseye to get there in terms of the path. And then the the chessboard that is our careers, there were pieces played I didn't anticipate and that wound up not working for me. And I was down about it, Tim, and I went out to the USS Carl Vinson to spend a few days on the aircraft carrier with the sailors for our Veterans Day feature uh, show that we do on ESPN. And 
he and I were choppering off the deck of this aircraft carrier, and I was very quiet. And because I was just in my own head a little bit, and he's like, "What's going on with you, dude?" I'm like, "Nothing." So we get on this plane to leave the San Diego airport to fly to San Antonio, and I'm quiet. And he sets up in his chair. He goes, "What's going on with you, dude?" I was like, "I don't know, Timmy. I'm just in a headspace where I feel like other people are defining my path." And he pointed right at my face, and he goes, "Nobody else defines your life. They don't have that right. Only you have that right." Don't let anybody else have that place in your heart and your soul. And it really did. It was such an emotional and mental shift for me, just those very few words. Mm-hmm. And I'm forever grateful to him for that. He's an, I'm, I'm so grateful I get to spend every weekend with that guy because I learn from him every time. Mm. There is a fork. Perhaps you can explain it if it was what it looked like. When ESPN did not renew the NASCAR contract, were you already like – destined to go were you already pointing in the direction of college football because I kind of looked at it like you were too strong of a writer and a broadcasting talent I had no question that they were going to let you go but in my head I'm thinking but Marty's ours like this is who he this is what he does like Fox or NBC has to pick him up like we can't do this sport without Marty here and then like you just ESPN took you off down this different road did it It feel what was that like it was a unique time Um, because I just, you know, I'd been in the garage at that time for 16 something years, I think. And, um, I love the sport to this second. I watched the entire race on Sunday at Talladega and I pay very close attention to the sport. I keep very close, uh, in touch with these guys that, that, you know, it wasn't just that era that I'm Chase Ellis, like my little brother, YRB's like my little brother. He's like my little brother. Bubba's like my little brother. Uh, I care deeply for these guys. DH is trying to get me to play pickleball tonight. So I just, I care deeply about it, but I made the decision that I was going to stay at ESPN and just kind of see where it took me because I wanted some diversity in my life and and path and I feel like complacency is the greatest threat to excellence and at in that period I felt like I needed to be challenged a little bit yeah and so I thought that they would I didn't know what I was going to do I didn't know I was going to do college football I got home from Homestead Florida November 17th 2014 and I walked in my front door and Laney had been a single mom for 20 weeks I had eight, five, and two at home. God. And I walked in the door and put down my bags, and I was like, honey, I'm home. Everything's harmonious. And she had tears in her eyes, and she said, I need you home, Martin. You got – I need you home. Oh, she and is Martin, too. I said, she, she, there's three she people who can Martin me, and she's one of them. <laughs> and so I was like, don't, don't worry. Um, I'm home for the next six weeks. My new contract with ESPN wasn't supposed to start till January 1 sit down on my couch. She took our eight-year-old at the time and five-year-old to school. My two-year-old was playing in the floor. Open up my phone. Very first emails from a gentleman named Lee Fitting. He was the executive producer of College Game Day at the time. He said, your passion belongs in college football. Hmm. Start studying because I'm going to embed you with one of the four teams that qualify for the inaugural college football playoff. And I couldn't believe my eyes. And I'm like, how am I going to do this to my wife? Because I saw that email as a treasure map. I knew 
that if I was willing to follow its direction and dig deep enough within myself, I would find riches beyond my wildest dreams. And I ain't talking about money. I'm talking about life experience for her, for me, for them. And she was not happy, not even a little bit happy. Did you wait a couple days? No, I did it right then. Oh, man. I did it right then because, and she'll tell you to this day, she had no say in the matter. And no matter how conceited or egotistical or self-centered it may sound, she's right. I knew it was an unbelievable opportunity. And going all the way back to your point, Danielle, they dropped me in Columbus, Ohio, like an alien from Mars. I got Ohio State, the biggest fan base in the United States of America. (laughs) And there's a hilarious addendum to that story i went all the way through that playoff with them they won the national title it was joey bosa ezekiel elliott michael thomas devin smith raekwon mcmillan darren lee they had pros ever taylor decker was their left tackle 60 percent of that roster was pros and i was with them and fast forward a whole year clemson was playing alabama in phoenix arizona and urban meyer was one of our guest Host, uh, guest analyst for college game day at the national championship he walks over to me and he goes i gotta talk to you man he goes i can see you're thrashing on your reporting when you're done i'm gonna be sitting right over there i need to talk to you and i'm like oh i can do it now he's like no when you're done so i get done it's like i did my last report it's eight minutes to kick off i walk in this workroom and i take a knee beside him like i'm in the huddle or for some reason <laughs> just felt right super duper weird i don't know what i was thinking but <laughs> I take a knee. He's sitting at a couch like this, so I'm sitting right here. Easily could have just sat down beside him. You're humble. Yeah, show respect. And he goes, I've been meaning to tell you this for a year. Okay, he goes, you remember when we met? I said, yes, sir, I do. He goes, can I tell you what I was thinking? I said, sure. He goes, Florida State gets Tom Rinaldi. Alabama gets Kaylee Hartung. Oregon gets Samantha Ponder. And they send us this redneck from NASCAR. <laughs> That's what they think of us. And I didn't know whether to laugh, cry, be pissed. Is it an yeah. insult or a compliment? Yeah, what, like yeah. What? Yeah. yeah, thank you. And he started grinning. He goes, but I want you to know something, son. It took me three days. And I said, three days for what? He said, it took me three days to realize that you were the perfect guy for my team. And I said, well, could I ask why? He said, I saw the way my kids gravitated to what you were asking them and what you said to them and how you seemed to care about them on a human level. And and beyond that, you were an underdog. Nobody believed we belonged in that college football playoff and we won it all. Nobody believed you belonged there either. And you damn sure wanted to. And I just thought that was so cool of him to say, to take the time to share. And that's one reason he's in the book. I mean, People have different opinions of Urban after everything that happened in Jacksonville and all that, and that's for you to decide. Criticism of how Jacksonville went is totally fair. But I judge every person in this life on their own merit, and he's been awesome to me. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. 
Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Well, it took Urban Meyer three days to figure out if you liked it or not. I got three questions for you because you <laughs> are a special Stack and Pennies guest. Are you ready? Ready. I ask everybody this. We asked Kurt Bush these questions last week, and everybody else has been on the in the studio. They have gotten a chance to answer these. The question for a driver is, if you had to pick one car and one track the rest of your life, what do you go with? I'll ask you that question. Then I'll also pick, if you had to interview one person, alive or dead, mm-hmm. uh, at one location, okay. where do you where do you who do you pick? And then one car, one track. All right. One car, one track for me. I want like that 2005, twisted two, up. 2006, gnarled ass, twisted up. That was the coolest era ever for me. And that was also when Charlotte had all those bumps coming down the back straight away, and it just looked so kick-ass at night. With the reflective With, numbers, there, too. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah. And there was so much travel in the springs oh, and the me. suspension back then. It just looked badass, man. Hell, yeah. So that's what I want. Okay, that's my car and track. At Charlotte, too? Yep. Okay. Yep. Not my favorite track, but that's the one I would want all in right. that area. Like, think about – I know this is going back like 10, 10, 12 years. Think about how dope one hot night was. Oh, yeah. Like, they ain't no cool. It's the coolest race ever. Except when Junior won Daytona in 01, that was the coolest. That was the greatest moment in NASCAR history. Different, like, right? Like, they're, they're like that. Different. Yeah, different emotions. Yeah. One hot night was baller, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, Davey waking up in the hospital. Did we win? Did we win? Hell yeah. I asked the car chief <laughs> on that car is our car chief. No uh, Now, yeah, Raymond, Raymond, Raymond Fox. He's our car chief now. And I asked him, I said, what'd you guys do? He said, went to tech. <laughs> like just typical old yeah. school racer i'm like you guys didn't go to victory lane he's like no they want us to robert said no we just went to tech tore down went home i was like damn cash out check i mean that, like think about that race though man Big E, right it's coming down the back straight away and i mean it's just like the coolest thing those three guys too and kyle having the opportunity to win it dumping davy and oh mm. my god i could go on and on and on cool oh, he, he dumped did davy dump dale no i think kyle did i think so too yeah, he was just a wrecking ball. We'll have to go to the tape, but I, I don't blame him. It's the Winston. <laughs> hey, going for the wreck, mama. The it don't matter no, who's in the way. No, Dude, the way that twenty eight no, hit the first fence. night race too. Yep, but one hot night. Yeah, and there's right. a story that Dale was going off into turn one, and he got in the radio. He's like, "There's a light bulb out right there past <laughs> the yellow camper." You know, That's like very Dale. And I'm like, I believe it. Very Dale. One person interview in one location. All right, um, I'm gonna say Michael Jordan at the Grove. I, I've been around him a little Present bit. Present day? Right now. Okay. I have been around the, him a little bit socially. Tell people what the Grove is. It's his golf course down yeah. in Jupiter, Florida. Because I think he would be relaxed in that environment, have a little bit of his uh, tequila, tequila that he ha- has, yeah. maybe a cigar, and the flyest pair of J's you ever saw <laughs> in your life. Um, I actually one time stepped on – MJ's Air Jordan, <gasps> and I wanted to die. It's it like he's got to pay yeah, for I don't him. know if he's got any more. Most yeah. embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, it, Marty. I think yeah, he's got it, a couple more, though. I lose my mind when people step on mine. Yes, because you don't have an endless amount in your closet. Yeah, but yeah, still, dude. Them. It's Michael Jordan's <laughs> yeah. Air Jordan. Like he, and he yeah. had on – Danielle, this is going to make it even worse. He was wearing the M&M 3. There's like seven pairs of those in existence. Mm-hmm. I'm Marty. so sorry. I'm so sorry, MJ. What he, but, how did that go for you? He sat back in his chair. Like, I was like, oh, my God. Like, I, 
I was getting ready to I was like, going to say, it. yeah. Did you kneel and Urban like, Meyer style? And yeah, he was like, dude. He's like, yeah. <laughs> he leaned back in his chair. He's like, there's more where that came from. <gasps> yeah. So he was, he was cool very graceful. Very graceful. Wow. Okay, that's a great answer. Question number two. What is the most embarrassed you've ever been? Oh, my gosh. Um, the most embarrassed. On the, I've, on the job. On the job. The most embarrassed I've ever been on the job. I thought it was going to be 2007. Flag Football League when I ripped your shorts off. You can't. You came across. It, you you were playing quarterback for the second Joe Gibbs. Gibbs. Team. Now, that was when we met, right? That was the first time we met. You didn't realize that you, <laughs> you were coming up against off the best. First time you met the man. Guess pass the, the best pass date. rusher in yeah. the league. No, so the, so <laughs> let me tell you my story. I was on this team for Roush. NASCAR had a flag football league that we played off Harris Boulevard, and everybody was in it. Gibbs had teams. Red Bull, Roush, every Hendrick had two teams. J.D. Gibbs played quarterback for the other Gibbs team. Who was the stu- – no, this was the same team. It was the same team. We only had one team. He just wasn't there that day. Okay. You played quarterback, and I – the whole our whole Roush team ended up being the one-tire changers full Mount Pleasant football team that he just graduated with, right? So, like, I, they were like, yeah, you can't touch the ball. So, in spite, I'm like, all right, they only let me rush the quarterback. I am going to be the best – quarterback rusher <laughs> in this, like time. i mean almost got in a fist fight with joey from from gibbs god rest his soul remember big joey and like i was just as brash as you could be but yeah i went to go pull your flag and my hand got stuck in his pocket and i ripped his shorts off <laughs> well i i there's one other thing i remember <laughs> about that when when we met one another I had thrown a touchdown pass the previous drive or something. And, I mean, that was – listen, that league was full of dude. Like, there were Jeez. great athletes all over that league. And I was talking a bunch of like No. And then the Don't next – And then the, when, when it was the same drive, I think, that Ryan pulled my shorts off. But I was running to my right. You may remember this. And he was rushing me, and I threw this laser off my back foot. But it wound up being like eight or ten yards short of the receiver. And it felt oh, true as hell coming off my hand. So I'm telling him there's another one. And it felt like – dude, he <laughs> – I didn't hear the end of that one until the end of the game. I mean, like, he would not shut up. Yeah. But those were fun days, man. That like, was. they were – that was – those were fun days. It was a different time in the garage then, but, yeah, that was – Well, I can only imagine between two elite <laughs> talkers. Well, it really was – it was a different era of the sport. It was. Back then. And I don't know why – I don't know what the difference was. Real, I think it was we were the younger pups, maybe still, and it was before social media too. So everybody wasn't as connected, right? You were, it was your guys and their guys. Like now, everybody, I feel like we've all been friends in the garage. We're like we all know what's going on with each other, our kids, because we're so connected on social media. I think that might have had a little bit something to do with it, because it was truly like I didn't know like Aaron Coon, right? From he was a Hendrick at the time, and I'm like. I want to tackle that guy. Yeah. Like I like there was just guys that got on your nerve because you didn't know them, so it was easier for them to be like the enemy. But it, yeah, it was just a different time. I think we all did more together then too. It seemed like. Well, I think another thing that I feel like uh, this is a bit of a I digress tangent, but I feel like these days we're less connected personally because Correct. we're more connected virtually. Yep. And. Therefore, we don't take time for one another like we once did. And I hate that. I hate I everything about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a whole other podcast. We'll have you back in for to break <laughs> that down. Last question. So if I've got the old men in black memory eraser pen here and zap them all the way, all every single career memory that you've had, NASCAR, college football, golf, the works, and you had to keep one, what do you keep? 
standing at the 19th green, uh, the 18th green in 2019 at Augusta National Golf Club. Tiger Woods chips up, and actually, let me back up. I'm probably 10 rows above the 18th green. Clubhouse is behind me. Tiger tees off, tees off right. He's walking up the 18th. There are probably 10,000 people all the way down 18, creeping over nine, all the way down one, chanting, Tiger, Tiger. It was unhinged in a way Augusta National is never unhinged. Even the guys that placed the placards in the scoreboard were clapping for him as he walked up the 18th. He chips up ultimately two putts to win his fifth green jacket coming back from that back fusion surgery and literally writing a miracle. And he walks off the green and his son Charlie runs into his arms and we were all instantly whisked to 1997 when he ran into his own father's arms. And as a group, they walked to the clubhouse for him to sign his card. And I am on my tiptoes feverishly writing every detail I can write because I have been charged by my boss with going out there and detailing this moment and walking to the nearest camera at the first fairway so I can tell everything I saw to the world, the whole world. Mm -hmm. And I get tugged on my sleeve, my right jacket suit sleeve. And I look over, and it's a guy who's like, Marty, I need, a, I need a minute. And I'm like, hey, man, how you doing? I'm still writing. Watching Justin Thomas and Brooks Kepka and Tony Finau and Rory McIlroy all there to embrace their hero because he's why they play the game. Mm. And this guy goes, Marty, I need a minute. And I look at him, and I'm like this. And he, I said, hey, man, what you got? He goes, we're Clemson campus ministers. I'm like, oh, I love that place. I'm there all the time. He goes, we see ourselves in Tiger's victory. And I said, how? He said, we're all capable of huge mistakes in this life, but we're also all afforded the opportunity at redemption. Mm. And I just sat there for a minute and I said, you have no idea how easy you just made my yeah, life. Yeah. And I shook <laughs> his hand yeah. and I ran to that first fairway camera and I told that exact story yeah. to the whole world. Gave you gold right there. And in terms of my professional life, that's probably, there's several, but that's probably the one I would say 1A would to be uh, to go back to Daytona in July of 2001 and watch Junior win that race again. It's the greatest moment in the history of the sport. And to see his joy. We had, nobody had seen him overwhelmed with joy and fulfilled in six months. And so – that was a beautiful thing to witness. Mm. This is a beautiful interview, too. Gosh, thank you so much. I know you're a busy, man. You got to roll real quick. Where can people go check out this book and go buy it? Everywhere. Please do. Again, thank all of you guys so much for giving me the platform. Sideline C, you can get it anywhere. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million. Go find it, please. Again, it's not a sports text. It, it truly is something that you can take and envelop into your daily walk, no matter your profession. I've done that as a husband and father as well and it's really process over outcome is the the number one thing we tend to project and i don't want to project for my children i don't i want to be there for them in every step of their walk so they can find the best version of themselves 
and then they can make their own path and I struggle with that sometimes so you can get all of that there and I hope that you do thank you guys I hope you do too that's Marty Smith right here in studio stacking pennies guys thanks thank you brother love you appreciate you thank Thank you you both this is great